folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to learn, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the university and the director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We are in the book of Revelation, not too far yet. Revelation 1, part 2 is on the docket today. I just couldn't do the whole chapter in one go. So we did last time Revelation 1, 1 to 8. And I wanted to give you a, a taste of, okay, what's this book all about? The subject matter of this book, why it's written, uh, some other things that are important to keep in mind as we go through the apocalypse right? It's also a prophecy. It's also a letter, why those things are important. We left off then with, uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one uh, who is and who was and who is to come. So this is now uh, John's first vision. And this is one of my favorite parts of the book. This is absolutely huge for understanding Revelation. I just can't stress enough. There's just so much in this initial vision, inaugural vision of the Son of Man. I don't, I mean, I just tremble just thinking about uh, trying to do justice to it. There's so much here. So let me go ahead and read this text. This is John, uh, Revelation 1, 9 to 20. And it's just really packed, I think, for how to read this book. And it, it's just, um, I don't know, it's also going to ground um, quite a bit of my own thinking on this. So let's just let's jump in. I'll read the text uh, as follows. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Alrighty, so there we have the text of Revelation 1, 9 to 20. As I mentioned, this is like an inaugural vision of the Son of Man. John tells us quite a bit about his own position in relation to this vision. Also, in relation to us as readers, he starts, I, John, remember we just left off with I am the Alpha and the Omega, 
Okay, now, so that was a confession right there. Now John confesses, I, John, and the first thing we need to know, this is just huge, okay? We've seen uh, John's name mentioned before in the first part of uh, chapter 1, but this is huge for his introduction. He says, uh, your brother and partner, uh, fellowship one with, I'm just looking at the Greek as I go along here, uh, brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance, we usually have it translated in Jesus. Now, the first thing that we're being told is that John is our brother and partner in this. He establishes his relationship to the reader before he tells us more about either where he was and what he saw and so on. I think that's absolutely huge. That means that we're John is in some way representative. I'm your brother and partner in this. I'm not just a one-off. Hey, Revelation, isn't that a weird book? It happened to one guy one time, once upon a place, you know. It has nothing to do with me. John, by introducing himself, your brother and partner, he's representative of something bigger than just himself. And that is, he's with us in this. He's representative of the church. I think John is the church. I think when you see him go through what he goes through, he stands for the church much more than we, we give him credit. He's an evangelist. He's pastor. He's called an ordained servant, okay? And we'll see how that functions maybe a little bit later um, as we go through some other interactions with John and uh, the content of this book. But the first things first, we have to keep in mind how John stands for the church. I'll say more about that as we go along. But he's our brother and partner in this tribulation. This is like a, this is a rich word here. He shares with us. So the partner, he shares in fellowship with us. Uh, this word is used for like sharing in the gospel, sharing in grace, sharing in Christ. He shares with us in, and then notice what's first, the tribulation. You got to do the law first, I guess. That is the ouchies. That is the end time. It's a, it's kind of an end times word, this tribulation. Um, the end tribulation in fact, it'll be used later. These are the ones coming out of the Great Tribulation. We are afflicted. We are hard-pressed. We're like sheep led to the slaughter. Um, why does he use this first? I'm with you. I'm going to have... I'm, here's this book, and it's full of heavenly visions, isn't it? Isn't it heaven and all these things? The first thing John wants, that he, I'm with you in this, and uh, we're together in this tribulation. Okay, this is not like an otherworldly kind of thing. We're still very much in the Great Tribulation right now. Yes, we'll be coming out of the Great Tribulation. Uh, I guess you could say we're already in that process. We are coming out of the Great Tribulation right now. But, hey, Great Tribulation nonetheless. But also, kingdom and patient endurance that are in Jesus. We are already now citizens of this kingdom. We are in tribulation, but at the same time, the the final say, as it were, letting you know the end of the story before we get there, we are in this kingdom already. We already reign in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our afflictions, and in the midst of our persecution. And we are already, um, this word for patient endurance is kind of a rich one. It's going to be said quite a bit later to the seven churches that we'll study next time, I guess. Um, it's a rich word. It's um, it's to, to remain steadfast in the midst of it. Um, this is, how do you do that? It's in Jesus. We might be in tribulation, but we're in Jesus. 
We already have a kingdom in Jesus. We have this patient endurance. How can I stay patient? How can I be, how can I endure? It's in Jesus. Okay. Now his little intro about Patmos. Okay. So you can go there, pay your shekels or whatever. You know, you can take a a boat. This is a real historical place. He mentions this Patmos. I think that's kind of like the, the mentioning of Patmos, I take to be kind of like the mentioning of Pontius Pilate in the Creed. This does root itself in his, I mean, this time and place. We're not just so, what, uh, esoteric or something like that. This book is just, you know, golden tablets, totally disconnected or something from above. This is, John's on this island. It's a real island. It's called Patmos. You can look it up and go there. I was on the island called Patmos. Now, that's, I think, not so much. I mean, it, it definitely roots it in history. But it also lets us know that, what, he's isolated or he's, well, he's been exiled. We know that. The Romans, right, kicked him out. Um, I think he is the epitome of of being cast out, being isolated, being, he's on, on an island. How long is he going to live, right? Is he going to make it another month or whatever? He's on this island. That's what's emphasized. There is this real island called Patmos, but he's on this island, He's, as it were, isolated from the world, as the church always finds herself marginalized, harassed and helpless, split by schisms and so on, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, here's, this is key. Why was he on the island? Well, because the Romans kicked him off. No. For John, he's on the island He's on the, on the outskirts of society. Why? On account of the word of God, the logos of God, and the martyrion, the martyr, the witness of Jesus. He's not on this island because the Romans put him on that island, even though you could say, hey, you're on that island because the Romans put you on that island. Nothing about this happens apart from the word and the martyrdom, the, the martyria, the witness of Jesus. So yeah, you could say the Romans put him there, but he is there on account of the word of God. And that is the same for the church when she is marginalized. Why are you on the outskirts? Because the world person no, because we hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's what we do. And this is going to be absolutely huge later on in the book. Um this hold to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Jesus himself was already introduced as the martyr. The witness. He's the faithful one. We learned this last time. You can listen to that podcast. Um, And so what do we do? We reflect that martyrdom or martyria, that witness, by holding on to the word and confessing the person and work of Christ. This is going to be big for the churches. This is going to be big later on. We study, uh, oh, the dragon and so on. This defeats the dragon. Uh, this holding to the witness of Jesus, holding to the word of God. Okay, that's running the show. Now, this is big too. We get the when. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, the day of the Lord. This is huge. In the spirit on the Lord's day. So we're not told um, what. We could tell more about the the how. We could be told more about the the what. We get, we're here, we, here we're getting the when. In the Spirit, on the Lord's day. Why is it important? Why can't you just tell me about the content of Revelation just as is? Go show me the vision of the, you know, the Son of Man and all these sorts of things. No. You have to know that I'm with you in this. 
that I'm representative of something big in this, that I'm marginalized like the church is, that I'm holding to the same thing you are, and that this whole book took place in the context of the divine service. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, the day of worship, the day of the breaking of the bread and the prayers. I was in the Spirit. This book comes in the context, has everything to do with what happens on the Lord's Day. Maybe you've heard of the Day of the Lord in the Old Testament. Hear this book of Revelation um, as something that comes to the church on the Lord's Day. And it'll change the whole way you look at it. But that's why it's, and this is huge, and he's going to reference this later. This is huge for the book of Revelation. What does this vision, this angel, this uh, message, this, uh, you know, account or whatever it is, have to do with the Lord's day? And we will find as we go along, this is kind of my growing conviction here, and that is this book as a whole is very rooted in the things of the divine service. Revelation actually mentions earth more than it mentions heaven, just by pure word count. Maybe that's something to worth think about. We used to think we're thinking of Revelation as something way up there and way down there, or way you know down the road. Revelation, I'll I'll uh, you know be suggesting as we go along, is very rooted in the in the Lord's day. The Lord loves His church; He knows what she needs, and in Revelation He gives her something very priceless, a window into, a unique window into what happens right here, right now in the context of the divine service, this heaven meeting earth, a good look at the one church that lives in both heaven and earth at the same time. And I heard behind me a sound, a great sound. Okay, well, that's, that's big. You know what that means is that he hears first a loud voice like a trumpet, which kind of sounds like, oh, what, Mount Sinai? The trumpets, right? Is this Ten Commandments, right? And the emphasis to write, saying, write what you see in a book, right? And send it to the seven churches. Um, first things first, this is absolutely huge because then he turns to see the, the voice that was speaking in verse 12, which means what? Hearing before seeing. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. This is the church. This is why John is the church. They live by the he lives by the word. We live by the word. I heard before I saw. That's huge for revelation. Hearing before seeing. We're going to see this later too. John hears about a what lion from the tribe of Judah. He turns and sees a slaughtered lamb. Right? You hear about God. Uh, what, promising power and so on, you turn and you see the, the crucifixion. Power made perfect in weakness, right? That kind of thing. Huge for the church. We live by the word. I'll give you the promises. Now we see dimly, <laughs> but then we'll see fully. This is John. This is the church. So I heard a voice like a trumpet. Again, it sounds like Sinai and the, the business of writing. Is this like Ten Commandments all over again? There's a kind of, what, covenantal, feel to this, you might say. Um, God is present. I mean, you think Sinai, the loud trumpet and blast, smoke and fire, God was present, uh, dwelling in a unique way. He hears a sound like a trumpet. Well, no different when that voice is preached in the divine service. He is present there. Um, Saying, write what you see in a book. Again, he hasn't seen anything, but he's listening to the 
to the sound, the voice, and send it to the seven churches. Again, before you even see anything, you got to know that this book is for the church. The seven churches here, go figure, you plot them out on a map, they do kind of like a semicircle, and that is they're representative of the church. And uh, as much as they have, you know, these names root them in history, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, you can go there, you know, you can visit all these places. Um, but at the same time, it's representative of the whole church, the church of all times and places. What John's about to see is for the church, even right here, right now, until our Lord comes again. I'll have more to say about that as I look at the time. I got to take a break, but uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more uh, of chapter one in just a minute. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, folks. We are back with our study of Revelation chapter 1, the second part. We just brought uh, brought everything up to where John is told to write this down for the sake of the seven churches, like the really the one sevenfold church, you might say. And we're going to see this again in chapters 2 and 3. Uh, there's a message to each of the seven churches, but that's a message to the church. And again, there. I mean, you can go see these things. Uh, modern day Turkey. John turns in verse twelve to see the voice, seeing voices. How do you see the voice, right? I turn to see the voice that was speaking to me again. Um, hearing before seeing. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Okay, hold everything. We'll, we'll be told later, you've heard this already, Jesus himself, the Son of Man, says, by the way, these seven golden lampstands, these are the churches. Now, or the church, you might say, why are we told, now, just a few things. One, the biggest point, you cannot forget it, and that is absolutely huge. The first thing that John sees is the church. Okay, we're about to have this magnificent vision of the Son of Man. The first thing that John sees is the church. He turns and he sees, he's first shown the pews of his home congregation. 
which is absolutely huge for this book. It means this thing. I he first, yeah, I know we're going to talk about heaven and all these things, right? Fancy visions. John first sees the church that what you're about to see is not disconnected from the church right here, right now. He first sees the church before he goes on and sees everything else. Whatever else you're going to see, keep in mind that has everything to do with the church right here, right now. This is not just a down the road and way up there kind of thing. He first sees the church. I want you to know that what's about to follow has everything to do with the church right here, right now. He sees seven lampstands. Now, here's the other thing. Of all the imagery to use for the church, what could you use? You could use all kinds of things. Um, What, seven crosses, I guess? I mean, I'm just thinking of some things you could use. Right? What does he use? He uses lampstands. These are things uh, in the tabernacle, in the temple, right? These are things of the divine service. You could use also, I mean, what could you use to, to signify the church, right? Building, or I saw a building, right? He sees something of the divine service. He sees lampstands, golden lampstands that would uh, have to be lit and, and stay light, uh, and stay lit, okay? Um, this is liturgical equipment, or uh, th- these are liturgical elements, you might say. They're in the divine service. They're in the the holy place of worship, right? Which So not only does he see the church first, but he also sees, oh, church at worship, or worship things of church, things used in the divine service. Okay, which says this book is, okay, rooted to the church, but also especially um, is relevant or connected to the divine service. And in the middle of the lampstands, I'm reading, reading from the Greek here. What do we have in the, in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. That's the thing first. You see the church first. And then the, the other thing that he sees right away is the son of man is in the midst, already present right here, right now. I thought he's coming soon. Yes, he's coming soon. But he is already in the middle of his church, in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, uh, clothed. I love this. He's already in the middle of his church. I'm coming quickly, but I'm already with you, and I'm right in the middle. It reminds me of, uh, what is it, the resurrection appearance. Thomas, you know, he appeared right in the middle of his disciples. Sunday after Sunday, right? Eight days later, he's going to keep right in the middle. I'm already with you, right in the middle. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. One like a son of man clothed. I love this son of man language. Uh, A lot of Daniel. So think the book of Daniel. In Daniel, we have the Ancient of Days, uh, white hair and just up on a throne. And then one like a son of man, this is Daniel 7, one like a son of man is presented before the Ancient of Days and is given like a kingdom and power and dominion and authority. Uh, sounds like a somebody who's kind of one with God, yet distinct from, from God, Son of Man. There's the Ancient of Days. There's also the Son of Man, right? Um, that's the language that's used here, although stay tuned because we're going to see how he's described here. Clothed with a long robe. I love the emphasis, the first thing to describe the Son of Man, clothing. Absolutely huge for Revelation. Clothing will be huge because it is available to you right now. 
baptism, he'll even tell the church this, um, I counsel you to buy from me white garments. And where do you get those white garments from? Well, you get them from me, and you can have those even right now. So on the one hand, it's like a, it's an end times thing, I'll clothe you in white, but at the same time, it's also a right here, right now thing. This is, again, when you, it's very, uh, what, when you pick very particular, I'm going to tell you about his clothing first. Right? No, why don't you tell me about the, the feet first or the, the hair first? Clothing first. Oh, we have that given to us already right now, even as we're going to have, we're also promised that. It's both end times and both right now sort of thing. We're going to see that as big in the book of Revelation, this clothing emphasis. Um, with long robe girded with a sash or a, a belt as it were, a golden belt. This is a, who wears these things? Well, priests, I mean, this is great. Kings, I guess you could say, kings as well, priests. I mean, both and, priest and a king. Um, Boy, he's both human and divine. I mean, the son of man, what a divine figure. At the same time, he's wearing all this stuff. This looks like a priest, a high priest. Go figure, it is the risen Christ in the midst of his divine service, serving his church. Every Lord's Day, Lord's Day, Lord's Day, that is the priest. So the pastor would say, in the stead and by the command, right? Do you believe that the forgiveness I speak is not mine but God's? Absolutely. He who hears you hears me. So you see the pastor, but it is really the risen Christ serving and forgiving and blessing and so on. His head, okay, so here's where we get some of this, like, Ancient of Days stuff, because he, I mean, think about this. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Wait a minute. In Daniel, that kind of sounds like the Ancient of Days. Not the Son of Man, but in Revelation, whoa, the Son of Man is taking on the characteristics of of the Ancient of Days. That's divine turf right there. And yet this is... This is the Son of Man. What's going on here? This is another big thing for Revelation is to place our Lord. Uh, who's on the? There's somebody on the throne, and then all of a sudden the Lamb is on the throne. Wait, I, how can the Lamb be on the throne if somebody else is on the throne? And John just sits there and smiles because that's how the book goes. <laughs> he places the closest possible identification between the Son of Man, uh, between Christ and, um, and God the Father. They are one God and yet uh, distinct persons. And you're going to see that quite a bit in the book of Revelation. He likes to just kind of keep pressing that, the oneness there. So his hair's uh, white. Well, his eyes like a flame of fire. Um, we're going to see fire quite a bit lately. And uh, I'll make some ties to that. Same with the feet, like burnished bronze. I mean, again, these are things of what? These are things of the tabernacle. Fire on those lampstands, you got to keep it going. Burnished bronze, there's bronze all over the place, right? Um, refined in a furnace and his voice like the roar of many waters. There's also water in the divine service. There's water. The basins, tabernacle, temple, basins, wash. The high priest needs to wash. The priests need to wash. Um, here we have this high priest who comes with water. We're going to see all this stuff uh, richly unpacked later on in the book. There's going to be, he has water, but then there's a water that comes from the from the dragon. Kind of like two different waters. Take your pick. Fire, same story there. There's two different fires. Son of man has fire, but there's also fire from 
from the other side. We're going to talk about all these things in more detail soon, but I want to make sure I get to this end. All right. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Now, we're going to learn later the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Like, um, well, what does that mean? Uh, Some have taken this as, uh, okay, so does each church have like an angel or how does that work? We're going to see later in the book, angels are um, in some places kind of stand for, I would say, um, well, heavenly messengers, including those of the office of the holy ministry, which itself has an angelic character to it. And Revelation is going to blur those lines. Why all this angel stuff in Revelation? Well, already part of the church's existence is a heavenly reality. Angels, archangels, all the company of heaven. Uh, the ministers proclaim God's forgiveness. The ministers are angelic in that they preach a heavenly message like the angels do. So there is this overlap, as it were. Um, I'll say more about that as we go along. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. We're going to see this later. There's a mouth on the other side too, the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast. There's the word of God or there's this false word. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. He's the light of the world. We're going to see this also later on quite a bit. Okay, I want to focus. We're going to end on this John business. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, which is exactly what we do when we gather in the divine service saying, I, a poor, miserable sinner, deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. But he laid his right hand on me. This is the saving hand. The right hand is the sit, the hand through which you do things. You save through this hand. The one who sits at the right hand stretches out his right hand. He laid his right hand on me. He had physical contact with me. Do you ever think about that one who stands in the stead and by the command of Christ when he lays his hand on you and says, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? physical contact take eat here's this hand being extended right here to me fear not i am the first and the last the living one i died and behold i'm alive forevermore i have the keys of death and hades john is as dead the son of man is dead and yet alive and that is exactly our story too that is exactly our identity Uh, We die and we are raised with Christ. John is as dead, and yet he's going to be given new life because of this physical contact. We come into the divine service, we are as dead, deserve nothing but death and punishment, and yet we get new life again and again and again every Lord's day. Write, therefore, what you've seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars you saw on my right hand, these are the seven golden lampstands. Seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is absolutely huge for the book because it tells you it's like a it's like a guide for the reader before you get too far into Revelation. Look, when you see these things, they stand for something. Seven stars stand for the angels of the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. So this this is already in the first chapter a kind of um, guide for the whole book. Uh, And so we're going to keep this in mind as we go along. But the big point here is that John uh, is a representative of of the church of all times and places. 
and in this inaugural Son of Man vision, it's a, it's a kind of um, heavenly liturgy already coming right to him. And uh, this very reality is going to continue in many and various ways throughout the book. It's just very, this is very rooted. What happens to John happens to us every Lord's day. And I'm going to keep, uh, I'm going to keep saying more about that as we, as we move along. Alrighty, that's uh, all the time we have for this one. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.